reading from God's Word, Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. As we consider a subject that is difficult, we're going to be talking about the Trinity today. And so in uh, somewhere around 20 minutes, I expect to completely explain this doctrine to you and answer all related questions concerning it. And if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona that I want to sell you at a very cheap price. I would say that we're only going to scratch the surface, but even that probably would be an arrogant statement, for I don't presume that in my small mind that I would even be able to succeed at delving that deeply into the subject. But we nevertheless are going to consider it. Just who is God and why does the Trinity even matter? So let's look. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. The Trinity is a mathematical absurdity. That is the statement that many skeptics have made through the years, making fun of Christians, saying that we believe that mathematically one plus one plus one equals one. Well, we know better than that. We know that's not the case. And yet we also know that the subject of the Trinity is so deep that it is so profound that our minds can't begin to comprehend it. And in that we find perhaps one of the great evidences for the truthfulness of Christianity, because who in their right mind would have ever made this up? Have you ever read a story and you realized it's so astounding and so remarkable and you thought to yourself, nobody could have made it up that way? And so the truth of the Trinity is so profound, we believe it could not have been conceived in the mind of mere man. Are there more gods than one? That's the question that is asked by our Westminster Shorter Catechism. There is but one only, the living and true God. We know that to be a statement of monotheism, one God. And, of course, we recall how that the Lord said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There are not many gods. There is not a pantheon of gods. We don't believe in pantheism. We don't believe in polytheism. We don't believe in many gods or that everything is God. No, we believe in the one true and living God. And yet, in Scripture, he is revealed to be three persons. We encounter this in the New Testament when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. As John begins his gospel account, a verse that we quote very often here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God. He's revealed to us as God in Scripture. And so we have to reckon with that truth. We also have to reckon with the fact that the Holy Spirit is presented to us 
as a person and as God. For indeed, the one unpardonable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We know him to be a person. You don't believe me, ask Ananias and Sapphira who lied to him and who died as a result. So it's presented to us. It's not explained to us. We don't have this explained to us. And and we usually find ourselves wondering way off the rails when we try to explain the Trinity. For example, I've heard the Sunday school analogy that's often been given. Well, the triune God is like an egg. You have the shell on the outside, you have the white or the albumen, and you have the yolk. And yet you have one egg. Well, the only problem with that is, is that those are three different substances. You've got one egg made of three different substances. We know theologically speaking, as we concern ourselves with how many persons are there in the Godhead, again, from the Westminster Confession of Faith, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so suddenly we find ourselves using the egg illustration and running off the rails and proclaiming a heresy. Not purposefully, but it is. Or it's like water. There was ice in here. But, you know, you've got water. It can exist in three different states. It can be in a liquid like this. It can be in a solid form if it's cold enough or if you heat it up, it's steam. So there you go. Three different things, one substance. But yet the problem with that is it's not all three things at the same time. There's a heresy of modalism there. Or another one that we sometimes use wrongly is to think about an individual like think of me, for example. Sorry to throw that at you. You're already having to look at me, but, you know, I'm standing up here in front of you trying to preach as a pastor. Well, my dear wife is sitting over here, and she knows me as a husband. Our children know me as a father. Grandchildren know me as a grandfather. One person, different roles. Sometimes we think of the Trinity like that, but again, that's heresy. That's modalism because they are three distinct persons. I'm only one person fulfilling different roles. So you see how this... This trinity defies all attempts at explaining it by way of analogy in a way that's easily understood. I'm telling you, who would have made this stuff up? And yet, we have presented to us clearly in the scriptures that God is three persons. We cannot understand it. Just accept that by faith. We cannot. I believe even in eternity. We will still be learning and growing a million years from now and trying to understand and fathom the depths of such profound truth. And yet Jesus said to his disciples when he gave to them the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all the things commanded. But go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Now, here's where we find out that our teachers who tried to teach us grammar in school were really doing us a favor. Because we realize that there is a little disagreement here when we think of grammar. It should be names, plural, grammatically speaking. But Jesus says name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in that simple sentence, we have a profound truth proclaimed to us. One God in three persons. And a true understanding of who God is, a true understanding of our Creator, 
is vital to understanding both creation and salvation. In order to have a right relationship with God, it is necessary that we know who he is, that we have a right knowledge of him. That doesn't mean we have to fully understand him. Who of us fully understands salvation? I've had the privilege of talking to young children through the years, and it's remarkable. I can, uh, I can think of kids as young as five years old being able to proclaim to me a, a very deep and profound understanding of what it means to have faith in Jesus. And yet I think of people who have literally multiple doctoral degrees who also are able to proclaim profound truth, but at the same time still not fully comprehending the whole. As theologians say, we can apprehend God, we can know of him, we can know many things about him, but we can't know everything about him. I think of George Washington Carver, about whom it is said, as he was uh, for many years a wonderful professor at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, African-American, born to slave parents, brilliant individual, wanted so much to do something significant in the world, and he prayed that God would enable him to understand the universe, and God revealed to him that was too vast for him. He said, well, I've, I prayed to understand the world that we live on. And God said, that's too much for you. And finally, he said, I want to be able to understand the peanut. God said, that's just about right. A brilliant mind. And yet he understood there are limitations to our understanding. And that wonderful man of God, doing so many wonderful things as an instrument of the Lord, and every time I open a jar of peanut butter, I give thanks for George Washington Carver. But it's vital to know who God is if we're to understand the world around us. The problem with our world today, the reason that we're in such a mess, is that we've tried to disconnect ourselves from the Creator and assert dominion over creation without a right relationship with God. And everything is running amok. But to understand salvation means that we have to have this right understanding. For we do believe in one God who exists in three persons. There are not three gods. There is one God. We're not polytheists. We're monotheists. We also understand that God existing in a trinity means, among other things, and by the way, I've given you a list, an outline in your, your bulletin. This is by no means an exhaustive list. This comes from my very limited mind is I've attempted to study this matter through the years, and so just some things for you to consider from God's Word. But our understanding of the Trinity means that God is completely self-existent. Now, if there were only one person, if God existed as one person, which certainly is a theoretical possibility, that would mean that this lone individual for all eternity had existed in an incomplete state. But God is not incomplete. He is complete. He is self-existent. None of us are. We all depend on others, and we certainly depend on God. But he's dependent upon no one. He has perfect fellowship with himself in those three persons. Jesus was able to pray in the garden in John chapter 17, Father, glorify your Son with the glory he had with you in the beginning. A glory that the Godhead enjoyed as perfect fellowship 
relationship existed throughout eternity. He's self-existent. He didn't create us because he needed us. He created us and redeems us because he loves us. It was already complete. And so that tells us we, having been created in his image, we ourselves are designed for loving relationships. That's why we long to have relationships with others. Now, we may find ourselves in a situation where we want to say that we don't need other people and we don't like being around other people. But we still need each other. That comes from our being created in God's image with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit completely dependent upon each other, finding all needs met in one another. In relationships, we find ourselves made more whole. When Kathy and I took our vows to be husband and wife, I can remember Gordon Reed saying to us, I can't remember everything because a lot of it was a blur. I was so nervous. I kept thinking she was going to wise up and back out at the last minute, you know. I was just hoping she would, you know, would get to that final moment where he said it and it was legal and she was stuck with me. Bless her heart. It'll be 30 years in March. She's still sticking it out. If you ever doubt God's grace, as I've told you, just remember, Kathy has put up with this sinner for almost 30 years. But he said to us that we would walk together as heirs of the grace of life, coming from Peter's first epistle. And it's true. Walking together as heirs, plural, of the grace of life. And so we are designed to be in relationship at one level or other. Even those who are gifted with the gift of singleness, we still are in need of loving relationships. But not only that, our eternal destiny depends on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each being fully God. Now, I don't begin to have the time at this moment even to try to tell you all the things I think I know, let alone the things that I ought to try to tell you. But it's true. The Father created the world out of nothing. Only God could do that. Only an omnipotent, omniscient creator could simply speak the words and say, let there be, and suddenly out of nothing, the universe comes into existence as he carries out that work of creation. Only God could do that. And he does it through the Son because we know, as the New Testament tells us, that through the Son all things have been created. And without him nothing was made that has been made. And we know that the Holy Spirit is a means of creation as he, the Spirit, hovered over the face of the deep. He's right there in Genesis chapter 1. Even as we have indications of the Trinity in chapter 1, as Rachel read, when God said, let us create man in our image. Just a foreshadowing of a truth that would be more fully expounded in the New Testament. But creation is here because God is omnipotent and able to create. But our destiny comes down to God's ability to save us because the quandary that we're in, we having been kicked out of paradise, can only regain paradise if God himself were to come and perform the rescue. And he's done that in the person of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, who went about doing good, always doing that which was pleasing to the Father, is only possible because he is fully God, and yet being fully man, he is qualified to pay the penalty for our sins. And so the eternal God-man lays down his life at Calvary's cross to redeem us by his blood. He is raised gloriously from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
And the Holy Spirit, being fully God, applies that completed work to us, and he indwells us so that we're able to say that God himself is living in us. Anything less than God in any of those three persons would make our salvation null and void. But thanks be to God, we have a salvation that is complete and that is secure, that nothing or no one can ever take from us because God himself performs the work from first to last. All of it was planned. The Father planned the works of creation. He planned the works of redemption and providence. Now, I've made a lot of plans in my life. But many of those plans have failed to come to fruition because I've lacked the ability or the will or whatever it is to carry them out. But when God determines to do something, there is nothing lacking in him so that he is able to carry it out to completion. That's why he was able to rest on the seventh day because he had created everything and it was all very good. And our salvation is complete in Christ Jesus because at every level it is God himself who was involved in the work. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our mediator. He was the mediator in creation. Remember the one through whom everything was made? He is the one through whom we are redeemed. And he's qualified. So many times I felt like in life I've lacked qualifications. I'm grateful when I come to the scripture, when I read that he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I think, ah, now I'm finally qualified. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, completely qualified in every aspect of creation and redemption. So that everything is brought to completion. There is nothing lacking in him at any level. The father is the one who has given his only begotten son to save us. It is the father's love that is the origin of our redemption. It is the willingness of the son who loves us to come in obedience to the father and to lay down his life for us. And the Holy Spirit who delights in revealing all of this truth to us. How could we know it otherwise? We could not know what God is like except that he revealed himself to us. Of course, we can look at creation and know there is a God, but we can't know what he is like. We could not conceive of the Trinity by simply looking at the world around us. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that truth to us as he has in his word. A word that has been breathed out by God so that we're able to say that the scripture is the word of God as it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Father has given his only begotten Son to save us. It is the Son who has atoned for our sins, who has triumphed over sin and death, and the one who even now intercedes for us. The work of redemption having been completed, the work of intercession is ongoing. Some have said, we can't really know God because if there is a God, he would be incomprehensible. He would be wholly apart, wholly other from us. That's Something that's well accepted in modern day academia. But for a couple of hundred years, since a couple of hundred years ago, that idea has been around. It's an idea known as deism. That perhaps there is a God who got everything started, but he's long since gone off somewhere and is absent from creation and is not a part of things. There are those who believe that. And I suppose that the reason so many have rejected the Trinity other than because they reject God's word, and that's at the heart of it, 
If you look at every false religion and every cult, it is because in some way or another there is a rejection of this glorious doctrine of the triune Godhead. That it being so incomprehensible that we just simply said, well, God is just too far removed from our experience. We can't understand him. And we let it go at that. And so we've got a world living as if there is no God. Well, if God had not revealed himself to us, that would be the case. We would be left in the dark. We would be left to think, well, somehow all this had to get started, but he's not here anymore. Except or unless God has pierced the veil, shined a ray of light into the darkness. So that we're able to see, not because we can attain unto the knowledge, but because God has made it clear to us, like a parent prattling to a little child. Revelation is testimony to God's ability to accommodate himself to us. When our grandson was here, you know, we say it all kinds of silly things, just like you do with your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You speak in a way to a child that... I'm not speaking to you now. I'm not going goo-goo, ga-ga. Or say grandpa. Repeat after me. Not that I would do that more than 12 or 24 times while I was here. We accommodate ourselves. As Calvin says, we prattle to little children. Well, God demonstrates his sovereign ability and that he accommodates himself to us. He speaks in a language of accommodation so that we can, guess what, understand things that otherwise would not be understandable to us because God reveals it to us. The Holy Spirit does that work, revealing to us this great, wondrous, and saving work. He reveals and applies all of God's saving work to us, and he remains with us giving us assurance, sanctifying us, helping us. He's the comforter. The Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, so that he could send the, the comforter, the one who would abide with us, so that we are able to say, all of us, all of the millions of Christians around the world, each of us individually is able to say, God is living in me. How is that possible? Because God the Holy Spirit does that. To use Pastor John's favorite word, he is ubiquitous. He is everywhere. Somebody please tell him I use that. Or if you watch this, Pastor John, just giving you a shout out. Yes, you can't be everywhere. I can't be everywhere. Even the Son of God, Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Father. Yet, by means of the Spirit, the Son of God is everywhere. And we all are able to have a personal relationship with Him and to receive Him and trust in Him. And He abides within us because the blessed Holy Spirit makes that possible. So you see, it matters. It matters. And so we worship not the God as we might conceive him to be. We cannot worship a God that we have created in our image. We must worship the God in whose image we have been created. Not the God that we would like to have, but the God who is. And so we affirm this glorious truth. Yes, the church has struggled through the years over the nature of the Trinity. You read back in church history and you see all of the conflicts and the debates and the discussions and all of the councils that took place because they were trying to hammer all of this out. But it wasn't because they were trying to, to you know, to somehow 
caused their imagination to come to fruition. It's because they were trying to take the things of Scripture, rightly understand them, and apply them. Just like we're doing today. And so, I leave you now where I started at the beginning. With an incomprehensible idea, a theological truth that is beyond our ability to understand, but one in which we rejoice. Because I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to worship a God that I fully understood. Because my mind, being what it is, could only understand something that is exceedingly small. I am not even at George Washington Carver's level. I can't comprehend even a peanut. We worship a God that is so incomprehensible and so great and glorious that our minds cannot conceive of him, but yet a God who has revealed himself to us so that yet we may know him. And we can rejoice in him. Why is it that when Isaiah in the temple, in the year in which King Uzziah died, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw those angelic creatures with the wings, all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because God in three persons, Blessed Trinity is holy, holy, holy. And you may, through Christ Jesus, know him and be accepted by him and be counted as one of his own. And you can cry out, Father. And you can invite the Son into your heart and life. And by means of the Holy Spirit, he will come and apply to you that completed work And give you assurance. For it is the Spirit of God who bears witness to our spirit that we are his children. Not an angel. Not a prophet of God. But God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are his. Now you want to talk about assurance. That is assurance. Because from first to last, salvation is God's work even as creation has been. Wonder of wonders. Now, you think about that. Heavenly Father, bless us, O Lord, that we may come more fully to understand that which would be completely incomprehensible to us. Help us, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to understand. To have faith like a little child. Lord, we won't deprive ourselves in thinking that we can know more than we're capable of. But bless us to know what we need to know in order that we may know you, the one true and living God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we may rejoice and give thanks. And Father, make us useful taking what knowledge we have, that it may be applied in life so that we are a blessing to others. That through us, others may know you and see something of your love that you have expressed and received to and from each other for all eternity, even manifested now on earth through the most unlikely of creatures, 
that more and more of our fellow sojourners on earth may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as we proclaim more than we know when we speak his glorious name. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we conclude our service by singing together, seeking to glorify his name. Stand with me. So may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.